fun to see you this morning online, here in this space. We're delighted that you are here with us this morning. In the Christmas story, we are told that Joseph woke up from a dream in which God told him, name the baby Jesus, but also that he would be called Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew name that means God is with us. What does that mean for us this morning? It means that God is with you right now. Right now. That is God's promise to you as you sit here. He's as near as your breath. And in James chapter 4, James invites us to come near to God because God will come near to us. Y'all, we're not waking up into a dream. We're waking up into the truth this morning. He is with you. And allow this hour to be that space where you lean into that truth. Into that nearness. Because he loves you so much and he longs to be near to you. If you're new to First Press, we are so delighted that you're here this morning. And we would consider it a huge privilege to serve you in any way that we can. We would love that. Connect cards and more information about the church are actually in the welcome tent outside that you can find after worship. Or you can use this QR code to find the connect card that way. And that will enable us to obviously connect with you quickly, help you feel more at home and more a part of the life of this church, answer questions, pray for you, and so much more. Because we want you to understand that we're a church that we are about real relationships with God and with each other. And the amazing thing is that when that happens, I'm telling you, real transformation will take place. Whenever I say the name Rachel Godin, or Children's Ministry Program at First Pres, your ears should be tingling, and you should be filled with a sense of anticipation, even wonder, like Christmas itself, because Rachel is planning a wonderful children's program called A Star is Born, and for all your little stars in your lives, they get to participate. They'll be practicing after church today until 2 p.m., from basically 10.30 to 2. And that's for children K through 5. And then they're going to present A Star is Born on Saturday, the 17th of December at 3 p.m. right here. Now, for those of you wondering about your little littles that are 0 to 4, there's something special for them too. Part 2 of A Star is Born will happen for them on Sunday, the 18th, next Sunday, at the 9 a.m. worship service right here. So they will be singing. And all of this is the story of Jesus in song and scripture. Now, if you're thinking, well, we haven't been to any other practices, it doesn't matter. Just come on. And if you have a friend that says, oh, shoot, I missed the practice on, you know, at, at church uh, on Sunday, it doesn't matter. We have so many angel costumes. Your little angel can be in that program even next Saturday and next Sunday when they just show up. So Rachel is just ready to take them all in and show you what it looks like for a star to be born.
pretty cool. Yeah. We also want to just pray together this morning over friends and family members that we love, people in the world that we care about. So please join me right now. Heavenly Father, our hearts are so full of gratitude as a church. When we talk about children, we know your love for them, Father. And thank you for giving us avenues through Rachel's ministry to love them into the arms of Jesus, for them to learn about who he is. But Lord, this morning we're also thinking about our teenagers and our prayer to find a new director of student ministry. We know that teenagers are at the center of your heart too. And so, Father, we ask that you would raise up that person and bring that man or woman to us that you intend to bring leadership and love into our church and into our community. Oh, Father, our hearts are full of gratitude as we think about what you have done in bringing the city to the place that they've said yes to give us the permit to build. We are now breaking the ground that you have given us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now, Lord, help us to understand, even as we pray, that the breaking of the ground and the building of the building is for the kingdom. It's not just a pretty place to worship and a place to do stuff. Of course, it's all those things. But, Lord, we want what you're asking us to build to be a tool in your hands, entrusted into our hands, in order to reach people that don't know you, to reach this neighborhood, to reach every neighborhood with kingdom, good news, hope, peace, and joy, the message of Christmas every single day because it's true. In your name we pray, amen. Friends, if you're a life group leader, raise your hand. I'm one, you see some in the back. Look around, pivot your little heads. These life group leaders are here this morning for you. The reason they're here is that they want you to know that you can come and talk to them and learn more about what it's like to be in a life group. And learn about perhaps a life group that you could be in. Why? Because we weren't made to do life alone. We were created for connection and community. And so we would love to help you find a life group. And you'll see in your seats this flyer. And it's there for you to begin studying and looking for a life group that we hope will help you grow in your faith with Jesus and in your relationship with old and new friends. So take us up on a conversation. We're ready to have one with you. And we know you won't regret it. You, my friends, were so abundant and amazing that not only did you give blankets and backpacks to our friends that live in downtown T Tampa that are living on the street that are homeless and hungry, but you gave in such abundance that we had enough to not only hand out blankets and backpacks for two Saturdays in a row, we were able to share them with those who are homeless in our site in Ybor City as well. These pictures give you an idea of the joy that was experienced to every man and woman that received one from your hands into their hands. And it came with a letter. This letter of blessing and prayer and scripture, it came with a promise 
that their circumstances matter to us as a church and that we're going to continue to look for ways to encourage them. You made, by giving of your gifts of money and of blankets and backpacks, you made the angel's message to the shepherds at Christmas tangible and real. When the angel said, I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people. Not just some people, for all the people. And when you choose to use one of these six platforms to give back to God, every time you give of your financial resources and your heart and tangible gifts, you are making those words come alive in our neighborhood, in our city, and in the world. Good news for all the people. Thank you with all of my heart. And they asked me to tell you, thank you. God bless you. We are going to observe what we've been calling remembrance. That's what we're going to do now. What that means is that you're going to have a chance to say the name of someone in your life who has died and then light a candle here that will be with us. So we're, we're, we're going to, if you are willing to do so and would like to do so, we're going to in just a moment invite you to get up out of your chair, come forward. Kathy and I will hold a microphone so you can say the name. If you can't say it, you can do two things. You can whisper it to us and we'll say it out loud so folks online can participate as well. Also, you can text message Kathy or me. Our numbers are going to come up in just a second and you can just let us know by text and then we will find a way to read them off and light a candle. Two people are going to come and help us light candles and if you two fellows will come up here now that'd be great. Just one other housekeeping detail, there's a big giant matches in these jars and you can use those to help you light or you can use the Bic lighter. Either way we're just going to make it easy for you to do this part of it and this is, this is how I want to introduce why we're doing this. We're doing this because of what's represented by the Advent wreath here. And what, what that does is it gives us a visual symbol with candles of the hope that we have in the coming of the Messiah. Because like me, and my emotions started rumbling a few moments ago about my dad, I, we, we've, there's loss in our lives. But we do not grieve as people who have no hope. In fact, it's the opposite. We know that people who have been, have been loved by Jesus are, are, are in a good place with him. And we know that we will celebrate forever with our in the presence of Jesus. And so the Messiah coming, which is what all of this is about. Don't light four of them. It's only Advent three. So it's... It, you're so cute. She's a trained theologian. She, she's been, she has a master of any degree. She's been to seminary, and she, she blew the admin wreath. <laughs> That's so cute. The, it's, it's peace, hope, and joy are the first three. The next Sunday, come back. It's love, the candle. Back to the point here. So Kathy and I are simply going to invite you to come forward. And you can say the name. I will take my microphone off my ear so you can say it into the mic. And again, if you will text us, we will be able to read the names aloud for you through the text. So here we are, friends. Excuse me for turning my back. Here we are engaging in faith. And we're going to get up out of our seats and move in. And I want to remind you just quietly, 
no, no talking, just everyone watch. Perhaps you, you have some sense of loss or grief in your life and you just don't know what to do with it. That's okay. Let this wreath, let the message of the Messiah, let other folks, let them be a part of how you just allow yourself to be surrounded by the Messiah in whom we have hope and also joy and love and peace. So coming forward now and just from wherever, just come up. You can come down this side and I'll greet you. Come down this side and Kathy will greet you. And we will together exercise our faith and trust as we remember and feel the sense of joy and thankfulness as well as the sadness of someone we've lost. Come now and let us together remember. Bradley. Jim Burns. Kaylin Canella. Denise Ann Martin. Allison Falk, Ed McWilliams, Debbie Schutzendorf, Walter and Mildred Snook, Barbara Tolbert, Karen's parents, Moselle and Ed, my parents, Evelyn and Earl, Tom Duval, Ed McFadden, Andrew Harvey. Mike Campbell. Joshua Samaru, Sally Samaru. Mike Gollin, my daughter, Susan Stokes. Janet Grusso, Dave Jensen, Will Jeffers, and Herman Fitzgerald. Sadly Joe. Lindsay Morano. Lewis Hill. Michael Stroper. John Hodges Liberini. Dorothy Liberoni. Jean and Bill Curry. My mom, Martha Maddox. Siggy Levy.
my brother Keith Martin. My father, John Joseph Bebby. Baba and Becky. Baba and Becky. John Lastra and Reese Lastra. Uncle Paul. <clears throat> My Uncle Dale Tyndall and Aunt Sherry King. Lindsay Figler and Taylor Caloris. I'm going to get some help, Jay, if you'll stay here as I read the names that came from online to me, Kathy. So we'll, why don't we go back and forth one at a time? So, Jerry Kelly, Bobby Dollar, Wayne Dollar. And I just lit two. Are you fin any more text? Do you have any more text? Okay. Leonard Forbes. Inez Livingston, those come from our good friend Nate Forbes, pastor of the Hyde Park Church of God of Prophecy, who's watching with us online right now. Lenny Vidal comes from Bruce, who's on the sound. Juan Lee remembers John Bell. Juan is back working the sound, the computer system. Barbara Kohler from online asks us to remember her husband, Bill Kohler, and her son, Ken Kohler. Baxter Smith asks us to remember his wife, Susan Euler-Smith. Anything else? Anyone else? Thank you, Jay.
So I wasn't planning on having my emotions go off on me, but here they are. Um, squashed dreams is really what we're talking about as we think about dreaming and being dreamers. And one of the things that is just plain and evident is that we have dreams and a lot of times they're squashed. And what overcame me while I was sitting hearing all of you, two things did. One is I, I have been a part of many of the people's lives that you mentioned by name as we went over the phone. And I've, I've known how hard it has been for you. And I've walked with you in it. And you've walked with each other in it. So that happened to me. The other thing happened to me was just thinking about my dad who died before he was just before he was 68. And he was 67 years old. And there's a lot of things about who I am he never got to do with me. I just thought about that. So my, my dream of being close to my dad got squashed because he died. And I know that's a part of what we carry around. And so you, you have squashed dreams, and I have them. And I, I know you have them because I can see it, because we're friends, and I've watched it in your life. I'm thinking about folks who want to have a child, and you just can't. And so there's that dream to have a child. And... And not only is there that dream, and it doesn't seem to come together, it's in your face that it's squashed all the time because you see your friends who are pregnant and you see your friends who are having babies. And so there it is right in front of you. And it's hard. That's a difficult thing. Many of you have been there. Or you, I've seen several of you have your marriage not work. And, and we've walked together, and we walk as a family together through that. And that's, no one signs up for that. And it's really hard. And yet, God is good, and somehow life keeps going, and you find goodness in life. And maybe you found goodness in a new wife or a new husband. But the dream still got crunched, the first one did. M many of us have had our jobs just really collapse on us. It could be because a boss is horrible. It's just insufferably difficult to keep working in the environment you're working in. Maybe it was some promotion that you thought you deserved and you had earned, and yet someone else gets it. Or maybe you just get mistreated. Or maybe the culture in the company is just not good, and you just can't find a way out. You can't find another place. So we walk around, you and I do, with this business about having this hope, this dream, this wish. They just, they just get squashed. And here we have, in the context of the family of faith, celebrated, even as we grieve, the loss of someone. And in some cases, like with my mom, she was 93, and she had a good run. And I, I am and was sad when she died, because I miss her, and I missed her. But she was 93, and that's, that's not the kind of loss that anybody doesn't anticipate. But like you, some of what took place is a shock, and I'm looking at your faces now. It's, it's almost insufferably difficult to get through it because it was tragic and untimely and even wrong. And you didn't do anything wrong, and neither did the person because sometimes things just don't seem fair. And so here we are. We're, I, this is not a depression clinic. You know I had to come up for air. <laughs> But we look it dead in the face, and then we look here, and we look at that star, and we look at that cross, and we realize that there's something more than just being human and having it go difficult for us and then having a sense of loss. There is more to life, and we know that. And there's a sense in which knowing God's goodness 
gets even better when our squash dreams turn out to be not the end of the story. And knowing Jesus Christ is even better than our best dreams and our squash dreams. And that's sort of what we've been saying around here. We've been using a text, Psalm 126, verse 1. And Psalm 126, verse 1 says that when the Lord brought us back as exiles to Jerusalem, talking about the history of the people of Israel who had been, who had been in captivity at 700 miles to the east in modern-day Iran and Iraq. Misery, horrendous, totally different culture. Their temple in the city of Jerusalem destroyed. Their whole culture taken away from them, hauled off. And when they got brought back, unbelievable. Oh, we're saying that when the dreams are great, knowing Jesus Christ is better. And we've slogan, we've said that a slogan, memorize this. Any and every experience with Jesus is better than our wildest dreams. That's what we've been saying. Any and every experience with Jesus better than our wildest dreams. But corollary this morning, experiencing Jesus is better than our squashed dreams. And we're not saying the dream didn't get squashed, and we're not saying it doesn't hurt. But what we know is true because of faith. It's not about having willpower. It's about the reality of God having broken into our lives personally and individually and into our world and putting things back together again. And we do not grieve as those who have no hope. The great apostle Paul tells Christians in the earliest followers of Jesus in this little town, Thessalonica, northern Greece. He says, we don't grieve as people who have no hope. We have our lives anchored into the future because of the resurrection of Jesus. And, th and that's how we do this. So in a family like this, as we just watch each other come forward and light candles, we get to be people who are just as real and authentic as we could ever possibly be. And yet we hang on to each other and to Jesus Christ. We have hope. And Jesus is better than even the hurt of a squash dream. He's just good. And that's what we learn as we do it together. And so we put an arm around each other and we have a tear. And then we laugh and we keep going. And life is good because God is good. And that's what we're saying when we do this. And so, no, it's not depressing. Sad is good. Sad is the flip side of love. You're not going to feel grief if you don't have love. It's the gift of God. And I want to be, and you want to be the person that risks my heart in love. Because you're going to get crunched if you love. So am I. it's not possible to be a follower of Jesus and not get a squash dream. But, man, it's worth it. It's better than the dream to be a Jesus follower. And so we're going to look at a passage in a way that maybe you never have before, a passage. It's part of the story in the Gospels about how Jesus came to be with us, how he was born and how he started in on his family. This is, this is about Jesus and Joseph, his dad. And this is in Matthew's Gospel. It's chapter 1, and what I'm going to do is read this all the way through and then come back and say a few things about each you know, couple of elements in, the, in these verses. Here's what I want you to do the first, as I read it through the first time. I want you to think about Joseph, who you know, Joseph married Jesus, right? You got that? Joseph and Mary, and there's Jesus, and he gets born, and all that. So this is the story about that, a part of the story about part of it. Here's what I want you to be thinking. How is it that Joseph's dreams are getting squashed? Because they are. He's getting hammered.
by what happens to him in life. So I'm going to read it. You're, you can see it up on the wall. Read it all the way through and then come back and have a little fun with a couple of pieces of it. So here we go. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Looking for the squashed dreams of Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's go back through it and just have some fun with some of the details. Back up to verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, the first thing you need to understand is you and I say Jesus Christ so fast, we think Christ is his last name. No. Here's, here's what's happening in the ears of these people who are hearing this story. Jesus, the Messiah, they're leaping. We, we hear it so often as we're numb to it. Please put yourself into the first century. Put yourself, if you have to, on a camel wearing scratchy clothes and sandals. And about all you're going to have to eat today is gruel. But when you hear, if you're a Jewish person, Messiah, your world is lighting up, literally lighting up. So deeply have they longed for the Messiah. Talk about a dream. So we go flying through our text. If we read the Bible, we see that word and we just, no, no. In Greek, Meshiach is the Hebrew word. In Greek, it's Christos. In the Greek text here, it would say Christos. And we say Jesus Christ as if, as if somehow that bang, bang, not these people. No, no, no. They are lighting up just on this one word that Matthew has given us. So Jesus Christ, the Messiah. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. So marriage customs in this culture are very different than ours. So pledge to be married, as far as the way we see things, is, is if you pledge to be married, technically the judge has tapped the gavel and you're married. You now are a married couple. But they haven't moved into a home together and they haven't consummated their marriage. Now, it's hard for moderns to buy this. I'm just telling you. You get rid of your culture and what goes on in our world. These people lived this way. It's still this way in some parts of Africa. I've talked with them, Kathy's colleagues. The man is able to get a home, and then they move in together and consummate their relationship. But the pledge is made, and it's legally binding. So as you'll hear in a moment, he, didn't, he was going to divorce her. What do you mean? They weren't married yet. Oh, yes, they were. In their custom, they were. So 
So Joseph and Mary, Mary's pledge to Joseph, but before they came together, you're following me here? Okay. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Beginning to think about Joseph's crushed heart. Okay? Is his dream beginning to be squashed? This woman that is my wife is pregnant. And there's one person who's really, really clear. Joseph is clear. I have nothing to do with this pregnancy. He would know, wouldn't he? That's a joke. Imagine Joseph as we go to this next text. Because Joseph, the next verse, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, meaning he now had legitimate religious, moral, and ethical case, a case to end the marriage, and they, it, the word is divorce in the text. He's faithful to the law, and it's shameful in a shame-based culture for someone to be pregnant and not be married. You and I don't get that either. You just, have to, you just have to say, my world is very different than theirs. A shame-based culture, disgraced, ostracized, kicked out of the family of faith, not able to walk around the streets without being looked at. That's the way people got treated when they got outside the ethical guardrails. Shame-based culture. That's not the way it is with us today. So it's a little harder for us to understand it. He's faithful to the law, which means he has legitimate and even suggested reason for, to end that marriage, as, and the word is used, divorce, but he doesn't want to disgrace her. So somehow, Joseph is crushed. He's a good guy. He doesn't want to disgrace her. He's just trying to get out quietly, and that's where we stand right now. But I think Joseph wished so much, and I think you would too. She cheated on me. Right before we moved in to the new home, she cheated on me. I mean, it's, it's happened around, it happens around us now. Just devastating for this man. He is lost in what he had hoped would be the case for himself. But look what happens next. But after he had considered this, that is getting out. Now, it doesn't tell us how long. How awkward would the conversation be between Joseph and Mary? You're what? I, I, there are no words. And they, they didn't have marriage and family counselors back then. <laughs> so there was, they just didn't. It just wasn't about how people didn't resolve their differences that way. So you have these two people. And they're young. She's very young. And he, could, he wouldn't have been much older, maybe 10 years older. She's in her mid-teens and he's in mid-20s. I mean, you're just talking about an impasse. This is, does not resolve itself. After he had considered this, notice what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and says, before we see what the angel says, just want to remind you of the word angel, angelos in the Greek text, angelos. It sounds like angel, doesn't it? You know what it means. I've said this 20 times. I'm going to die saying it 28,000 times. Messenger. Now, if you have in your mind... 
a Renaissance literature, I mean, Renaissance artist, white figure with wings and a halo and all that kind of stuff. The reason those artists got inspired to put wings on is because they were celestial beings and they're white because when a, the messenger of God is present, it's like having a lot of candles. God is bright because God is truth. And when God shows up in a big way, things light up. And light is associated with God's presence throughout the history of God's dealing with us. So that's what's going on here. But it's just a regular old being, a messenger. The job of a messenger is to deliver a message. And who's the message from? The boss. So listen to what the messenger says that God has to say about this situation. Joseph, son of David, remembering that David connects Jesus to the promises of God all the way back. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We, we modern scientific people, we want to fuss and say, I don't believe the Bible because it says stuff like this. And I, I'm thinking, this is chicken feed for God. And what I mean by that is if God speaks and the whole universe comes into existence, if you will trust that to be a thing that's real, where did the universe come from? If it didn't get made by somebody, then it's an, a random accident. All of the magnificence of the universe, all of life, all the beauty of your children, your love for the people who are in your life, all of that's just random? Those are our two choices. Random accident or spoken into reality by God. And what's happening here is we have the cross-section of God reality, the dimension where God is, which is not far away. God is near. But the dimension is hard for us to see, hear, taste, measure, and smell. But it's still present and still real. So when the Bible talks about things that you and I want to call about beyond nature, beyond science, supernatural, great, they are outside of our normal way of measuring things. But it's just as real. So I don't worry about this stuff. I'm not, I'm not being blind. I'm trying to think about how does science and faith interact. And this just says the God who spoke the universe into existence did it again. This is a hyperlink to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God says, let there be light. And so here God says, let there be life. And into this little girl, bam. That's, please don't, if, if, you, or if you're struggling with that, I get it. It's hard. But you don't have to turn your brain off to be a Jesus follower. In fact, you turn it on and think these things through carefully. So, She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him, this is so important, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus may be what you say when you drop a hammer on your toe. <laughs> and you may even say Christ after that. I don't know. But Yeshua, Hebrew, Jesus in Greek, in English, Jesus. You know what it means? God saves. What does a distraught, broken, dream-crushed Joseph need to know? God saves. What do you and I need to know? The name is the job. The name is the mission of this person. God saves, but we're not finished because there's another name. It's really good. All this took place, we see in the next verse, next two, to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. This is prophet Isaiah, if you want to look it up. 
the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, they don't have name dyslexia going on here. It just wouldn't be uncommon to think of someone with more than one name. Jesus is also Emmanuel. And what does it mean? Jesus in Greek. Yeshua. Sounds like Joshua, doesn't it? It's a common name in the Hebrew world. God saves and Emmanuel. God is with us. Crushed dream bearers. What great hope in the Messiah who is the God who saves us and who is the God is with us. That's better than any dream we could ever possibly have. God saves us, rescues us, heals us, puts us back together again, and God is with us. How could you hope and dream for anything better than that? And somehow a crushed dream gets me vulnerable so that I'm willing to admit I need you. Save me. Don't be distant from me. Because when we get our dreams crushed, we think either God is distant, doesn't know what's going on, or doesn't care, or some combination of all three. And the birth of Jesus tells us it's the opposite. That God is with us and God saves us. And God, all of this motivated by God's love. That's what's going on here. Does God care? Absolutely. Is it punishment? What's going on in our lives? No. Now, when things go bad for us and a dream crushes, sometimes we contribute. And we could be contributing because of things we do that are just outright wrong. But many of our dreams get crushed and it's just wrong. It's just bad, just wrong. It's just, it just happens. It could be an accident. It could be a disease. And we have that in the room right now. No, it's not punishment. And yes, it hurts. Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, God saves us. We can't save ourselves. Emmanuel, he's a with us God, not a distant God. Does he care? Yes, that much. That's how much he cares, to give everything he has for us. Life, Jesus said, John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but don't be scared off. I have overcome it. We're going to have trouble. And Jesus' father is particularly going to have trouble because you're going to take risk to love people that others won't take. And the other side of love is going to be grief and sadness when it doesn't work out. Well, I want to say something about my squash dreams, if I could. Um, part of my emotion that caught me was my dad. So I'll start with my dad. My, my dad died when he was almost 68, and I was 33 or 34. So here's what my dad didn't get to see. He didn't get to see... He only saw Jamie, the older child, when he was about 18 months old. He never, he never saw Reed, so he obviously didn't get to see anything of what's happening with him now. But here's just, I'll just be about me for a minute. My dad, when my dad died, I was employed by Young Life in Tampa. So he never saw anything else. He never saw me leave Young Life in Tampa and go to Ecker College and have nine phenomenal years of growth and whatever there. I was the chaplain and I was the dean of students. He never got me see, he never got to see me be the pastor of this church. My mom did, but my dad did. So I wanted to tell you about my squash dreams. It, it comes back in many ways to my dad. I, he and I never really got to be Jesus followers together. I just wasn't quite mature enough in my faith to sort of bring that out in how we related to each other. 
And he was just, he just wouldn't talk about things that were going on on the inside. And that was okay. He loved me and I loved him, but we just never quite got to where we could talk about it. We thought it just wasn't a part of our comfortable way of doing life together. But more concretely about my dreams, I was, I was working for Young Life in Tampa and I wanted to be one of the bosses. There's a, there's a word for it, a director, a regional director. And so I was bumping up against sort of wishing that I was not just doing Young Life, but I wanted to be a part of making the decisions about how Young Life as an, orga- as an organization was going forward. And, and the job I had, that really wasn't a part of the scope of the job. But the next level up was. And so I, th- I thought I had the skills and the, certainly I had the passion and the aptitude and the vision to be one of the next level up. And I was talking to my boss, and he sort of cut me a little slice of the pie out. And he said, okay, you can do it. And then we started putting a pencil of paper, and it was going to cost a whole lot of money because the, the fees that were coming from the ground up weren't anywhere near enough to fund a whole other level of the bureaucracy, so to speak. And I realized that all I was ever going to be doing is raising money. So I quit my job. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have another job. I quit my job in 1989. I quit my job. I was the director of Young Life in Tampa, and I quit. And you know what I did next? Dan Fields and I dug ditches and installed sprinkler systems. Oh, I got real good insight into don't, don't quit the job you have until, <laughs> until you have another job. <laughs> I also got in, insight into why people that do construction drink beer at the end of every day. <laughs> which I didn't do, but I understood why they did. Well, by the grace of God, I became the chaplain at Ecker College. Had seven great years as a chaplain. In year eight, the president of Ecker College added to my job dean of students and vice president for student affairs of Ecker College. Man, was that exciting. So I did that for about a year, and then the search for a permanent dean happened, and I thought, man, I want to be the dean. I didn't have any of the academic background, but I was really good at it, particularly with relationships with students. There were some things I wouldn't have a clue about, but I could relate to students. I hung out with them. I loved them. They loved me. We had a blast together. So I ran for the dean of students, and sort of in a turn of events, the president who was backing my case flipped on me and said, they don't want you to be the dean, and I agree with them. I, I just stunned me. So I left. And you know what happened next? I applied for the job of being the pastor of First Presbyterian Church. And Sally Hill's husband, who she mentioned, he died a couple of years ago, Lewis, he was on the team that I met with. And all that's to say is that the me that I am today is way better than getting crutched. I left out one thing. In the middle of all of my confusion, I applied for five PhD programs. And I wanted to get a PhD in New Testament and what, let me tell you what that means. You're, you're not going to believe this, but this is what it means. I have what's called a Master of Divinity degree. It's a three-year degree. It's sort of like a law degree. You learn a whole lot about everything, but you don't get really good at anything. <laughs> Sorry, lawyers. We have the same problem. So I, I, focused, I focused on New Testament studies, and so I took every class I could as an elective in the New Testament using only Greek with a professor in the groups. It was always five or 10 or 15 students, and so we could really go at it. And I learned how to begin to do it. And I applied for, I applied at Princeton, a school you haven't heard of in Virginia. You've heard of Duke. You've heard of Emory. And I applied at a place where I went to seminary. And four of the five of them laughed at me. I called the person at Princeton University and said, how about if I come up and do this other degree that's sort of short of the, the PhD program? And she said, no. 
and said, well, what if I come and do that degree? Will, will you then at, and place another application in? What would you say? She said, don't bother. <laughs> so I was competing with people that had straight A averages in 1600 on the standardized tests, and I was crushed. I got into one of the PhD programs, but it was, here's what you're not going to believe. Two years of coursework, two modern foreign languages, Hebrew, Greek. It takes four years to get all that done. Then another three years to get all that done. Then another three years to write the dissertation on average. Is that the alarm for me to stop? <laughs> I am watching the clock, the clock, by the way. And I remember looking, I was standing at the foot of bed, and Kathy was in the bed, and I had gotten into one of the programs, and it was going to be, I, I wasn't being offered any money. So I was going to be six years in school paying doctoral degree fees, living in Southern California, where it costs $9 million to buy a hamburger. <laughs> I was crushed. All of this happening at the same time. And I, all of that is to say, for me personally, being, I like who I am here way better than any of those other places. And I like me okay in those other places. But here is where God wanted me. For this, this is 25 years. I can't imagine how, how great it had just been fantastic to be a part of this family and to be one of the leaders. I'm one of several really important leaders of this family. I can't imagine anything better. But man, I thought I knew what I wanted. I'm so glad I don't have a PhD. I'd be irrelevant. You can laugh. That's a funny statement. Maybe, maybe if you don't understand why that's funny, then come and tell me, and I, I tell me, tell me, and I'll laugh later. So I'm happier as a husband, as a father, and everything else. But mostly, I think I'm where I, I'm supposed to be. But I would have taken me in a wrong direction. So the squash dream on top of the squash dream on top of the herd on top of the squash dream ends up in a place where this is way better than anything I could have imagined. I never, in my wildest dreams, on being on a surfboard as a kid doing all kinds of stuff, would think I'd be a leader in a church. Your wildest dreams aren't as good as being in line and, uh, and with Jesus. That's what all this helps us to get to. I'm going to ask you to do something before I pray, and I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to sit down with somebody you deeply trust. It could be your spouse. It could be in one of the life groups where you have transparency and vulnerability and openness and honesty, where transformation takes place. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Talk about a squashed dream. It's just that simple. It's in you. I want you to promise yourself that you will find a place this week to talk about a squashed dream. And how's it going now? And what I think you're going to find is it was a real dream and it's really squashed and Jesus is better. But you need to do that with somebody in a real relationship. And transformation will happen right now today in your life if you will to do it. Let me pray for us as we celebrate together. Messiah, God saves us. God is with us. Thank you, gracious God, that each of us, your sons and daughters, you love us. We are your sons and daughters, and therefore we are brothers and sisters. We're a family, and we get to do things like grieve together, and we get to laugh together, and we get to talk about our dreams that have been squashed and we're always going to have plenty of room to talk about dreams that were big and good and have come to be. But it's the ones that hurt that are maybe a little harder for us to talk about. And so right now today, we're going to make a decision. Who is it we're going to sit with and visit about it? And the simple question is, talk about a dream that has been squashed. And listen to each other and share with each other. Perhaps pray with each other. And so, that, and so doing, God, seeing that knowing you and being with you is better than any of it, including the squashed ones. 
We are your family, and we sing now this great song about the meaning of Christmas as we stand and celebrate what it means to be followers of Jesus. It's in his name that we gather and that we sing and that we share. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. For you.